Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister, an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. I love reading and I love crime, so what better way than to spend my time with crime writers and find out how they tick and how they marinate together characters, motives, killer instincts, murder suspects and their comeuppance. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I speak with crime writer, the brilliant Martin Edwards, a man of many awards to match his humongous talents. Hello, Martin, the mighty Martin. Hello and welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to start, first of all, by asking how many books have you written? Well, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you and delighted to be talking to you today. Um, in terms of novels, I've written 19 novels. I've also written uh, nine nonfiction books and I've edited 40 anthologies. Uh, so, so quite a mixture, really. And all of those books have, I believe, rewarded you. You've won quite a lot of awards. Would you like to tell us a bit about some of those awards? Well, the, the crime writing has gone very well in recent years. I've, I've always, uh, since being a small boy, wanted to be a crime writer, a crime novelist. Uh, but uh, but it's a long journey. Uh, and that, that journey uh, began for me as a child. My first novel was published nearly 30 years ago, uh, back in 1991. Uh, but, but in recent years, I, I have had a lot of uh, good fortune with... Uh, uh, awards both in the United States and in this country uh, for uh, a book called The Golden Age of Murder, which was the story of the detection club in the 1930s. That was nonfiction, but also the short story Dagger, the Poirot Award, uh, the Dagger in the Library, which is awarded by British librarians to crime novelists, uh, one crime novelist each year. Uh, that's been running for about 30 years. And this year, really, the uh, the, the most wonderful of all, the uh, Crime Writers Association Diamond Dagger, which is a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, well done. Congratulations on that. So, um, you started writing. Um, when did you start to write? Well, I really started as a small boy. I still have the uh, uh, some of the stories I wrote when I was 10 years old, the little mysteries I, I, I wrote. Uh, uh, naturally never published, but, uh, but I started young. And, and that was really always my ambition. I, I did become a, a lawyer. I've been a solicitor for 40 years now. Yes, I was but, going to ask you about that because you are a law-abiding man, a solicitor, and then you turn to crime. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's right. I've never handled criminal law. I've always been an employment lawyer, uh, and uh, I've, I've, I've really got involved with employment law when it was uh, kicking off in the early days, uh, uh, in the early 1980s. Uh, and uh, my early publications were legal books and articles, but, but really it was 
writing uh, crime fiction in particular that was always my my long-term ambition and that that's really what I wanted to do most uh, but of course it takes a long time to get a novel published mm. uh, let alone to establish a career as a novelist you said you you started writing when you were small but how yeah. did you keep going what what was it about crime and writing about crime that kept you going well, I've always been fascinated by detective fiction. I, I, I read a lot of it, and I've read a lot of it since I discovered Agatha Christie as a small child, uh, and I, I devoured all the books that she'd written uh, in, in my youth, and then I turned to other writers when I ran, ran out of Agatha Christie, uh, and I started uh, reading contemporary authors at the time, uh, and it was that love of the mystery story the puzzle story but also some of the more complex crime crime novels that uh, uh, fueled my enthusiasm and and i like to tell stories i i, I think there's a, a touch of uh, narrative in a lot of legal work and and certainly i think that's a parallel between the the work of a novelist and uh, and, and writer and the work of a lawyer uh, the uh, the unfolding of a narrative uh, on behalf of one's client uh, so uh, uh, so I, I I do think you mentioned keeping going and I do think that that's really the the most important thing for any writer I, I often say this to uh, fellow writers pe- people who might be struggling people who might despair and it's something that all writers are very familiar with uh, when you don't feel you're getting anywhere. Uh, but very, very few writers uh, uh, don't experience that at some point of their careers, and, and m- many feel it uh, often. Mm. Uh, but the great thing is to keep going, to have faith in yourself, and to, uh, if you really love love writing and you enjoy it, then then first and foremost, you're writing for your own satisfaction. Uh, you hope, of course, that what you write will entertain readers, but but you have to love it yourself, I think. And I think the one thing I've I've always done, uh, and of course, having a an, a, a separate career has has made this possible. I've I've not been dependent on writing for my uh, uh, income and my livelihood, uh, at least not until recently. Uh, I think that it's about writing what you really believe in rather than what you think will suit the market uh, or what publishers want you to write. Uh, So I I think believing in your own ideas and uh, what you're trying to do, uh, if you keep at it, then of course, the more you write, the more uh, accomplished you get, the more practice you have, the more experience you have, uh, and so you tend to improve. And, and to me, writing is a process of constantly striving to improve and get better. Uh, that, that's really never ending. You can always improve a, a manuscript. You can always stretch yourself a bit more as a writer. Uh, and so that's what I've been trying to do for all these years. Now, you mentioned Agatha Christie. Is, yeah. is that where you get your inspiration from? or other things? Well, well, originally, that that was the starting point as a small boy, the idea of the clues and the red herrings and the suspects, the small community, uh, and and then the surprise twist at the end. I I always like a a satisfactory twist, twist ending that's been properly foreshadowed in the in the text. Uh, so it began with Agatha Christie. I'm still a great admirer of Agatha Christie. She, she achieved an enormous amount. Apart from anything else, it's often forgotten she's the most mm. successful female, female playwright of all time. 
quite apart from all those novels. So, uh, so, I, so I began there, but, but I also graduated to other, uh, perhaps more sophisticated forms of crime writing, and I enjoyed those equally. So, so I read um, uh, Psychological Suspense, Patricia Highsmith and her modern uh, disciples, uh, uh, American fiction, and fiction from all over the world. But, uh, as long as it's uh, uh, well-written and entertaining, then it, then it will appeal to me. So, um, do you draw on real-life murders, uh, murder cases, and if so, which ones? Well, on the whole with fiction, the appeal for me has always been that it's escapism. You escape into your own world, you, you live, or certainly I live very much in my imagination, particularly during a pandemic. Uh, I think that's, that's very appealing to escape from the real world. And so I like making things up. So by and large, my novels uh, don't draw on, on real life cases, but there are some exceptions to that. Uh, and one one of those exceptions was a book I wrote probably about 15 years ago called Dancing for the Hangman, which was a novel, but it was told from the point of view of Dr. Crippen. And the idea of the story was to stick faithfully to the facts as far as they've been established, but to try to address through the use of uh, the writer's imagination, some of the things that are so baffling about that particular case to try to explain uh, what happened in psychologically believable terms. And that, that was a book that I really loved writing. I, I was very, uh, very happy with it. It wasn't a particularly uh, 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 big selling book. It, it, it didn't achieve uh, a, a lot in that sense, but it was a book that gave me a lot of satisfaction and more recently, in a very, very different kind of novel, Mortmain Hall, which is the second in, the, in my latest series, I've uh, introduced as subplot elements some, uh, uh, some storylines which uh, are inspired indirectly by real-life crimes, such as the Wallace case and the Rouse case and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, I will talk a bit more about Malt Main Hall um, in a minute. But has there been a, a murder case that you know of that's had the most impact on you and, and why? Well, of course, the, the big difference, the gulf between uh, fiction and non-fiction is that in real life, murder is sordid and terrible. And in fiction, it's it's something something different. It may be very sanitised, as it is in uh, uh, some of the Golden Age books, Agatha Christie, and so on, or or it may be quite dark. But it's still different from real life. And my own real life uh, encounter, the one that sticks in my mind, my most, uh, came came back to me recently with the news of the death of the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe. Now, I was uh, a, a young man training to be uh, a solicitor, living in Leeds uh, at the time, uh, just before Sutcliffe was, was caught. And I vividly remember the impact that those crimes had on people in that part of Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, where most of the murders occurred. And women were afraid, and I knew people who were afraid. Uh, I, I remember one, one woman I didn't know asking me to escort her home from, from a bus 
one one evening because she was just terrified and that 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 made a great impression on me um it it was it was a terrible time for that community uh and uh, the the impact that that crime has on people, including the innocent. I, I knew somebody who was actually interviewed several times by the police uh, because his car had been seen in certain areas, and he was he was entirely innocent mm. of those uh, those crimes. Never committed a crime in his life, as far as I knew. But uh, but he he came under very fleeting suspicion, as I'm sure. Uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of men did. So what about the impact on their lives as well? The uh, Agatha Christie actually had a phrase for it. She wrote a book with this title, Ordeal by Innocence. Uh, the, the way that the people who are suspects but have actually committed no crime are affected by, by a murder that isn't solved. Mm. So, so that, that was, uh, I've fortunately had... had uh, uh, no direct uh, uh, connections with murder cases in, in my own life, but that was the closest I came. And even though it's 40 years ago, I, I still remember it quite vividly. I remember that as well, because I, I was living in Manchester at the time and I was actually working in a law firm. And one of the girls said to me, she thought, you know the voice that they had, somebody had yes. rang in and someone, yes. one of the girls said, they thought it was one of our solicitors. Right. And they said, oh, no. Ah. And she said, don't, don't be alone with him. Don't go in a room alone with him. It was, so yeah. I do remember that time as well. Yes. I do remember that time. Yes, and it turned, yeah. it turned out to be a hoax. Yes, yes. A very cruel it, Yes, it did. It did. Now, um, Rachel Savernake, shall we speak a bit about her? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about her. Well, I, I decided a few years ago, having written a, a one series set in Liverpool with Harry Devlin, one series set in the Lake District, which I, I continue to write uh, about cold cases uh, set in Cumbria, I, I decided to try to do something different. The, the novel I'd written about Crippen was uh, an attempt to do something different. Uh, it was a complete one-off. And I decided that I'd, I'd read so many Golden Age stories set in the 1930s. They were enjoying a revival. I'd published The Golden Age of Murder. I'd researched that period. I was pretty, pretty steeped in it. I thought it would be interesting to write a book set in that period. And I had an idea that I would try to write a novel in a very different way from my previous books. Uh, most of them had been planned, at least to some extent. At the very least, I always knew who had committed the murder and why at the time I started writing the novel. I might not know a lot more than that, but, I, but that was my basic framework. This time I decided to uh, have a different starting point altogether. Not the ending, but beginning with a character. And the idea I had was of this, uh, this young woman, Rachel, who arrives in London. Uh, she's a rather mysterious figure. She's uh, fabulously wealthy. She's got a small entourage of three devoted uh, servants, but they're not really servants. They're more like friends, almost fellow conspirators. She arrives in London. She becomes involved in uh, a sequence of bizarre murder mysteries. And it becomes apparent right at the outset that she's a very ruthless individual and that she has an agenda. 
but we don't know what the agenda is. And at the time, I didn't know what the agenda uh, was either. But that was the starting point for the third book, A Character. And I was very taken with that idea. Uh, I felt it was unusual. I think, felt it, it could make a good book of some of some description, some sort of uh, mystery novel. But to begin with, uh, because it was such a departure from the way that I'd written previously, I wrote a short story about the character just to see whether I enjoyed writing about it. And I did. I didn't try to get the short story published. I've, I've never attempted that. But it was um, a way of um, trying to find out a little more about the character, trying to see whether I really enjoyed writing about it. And, and because I did, I, I set off on the novel that became Gallows Court. I had that title in my mind. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen at the place called Gallows Court. I didn't know that, but I had the character, I had the title, and so I set off from there. So it was, for me, a very different way of writing a novel. Uh, and as a result, it took a long time to write. It took three years. There's a lot of rewriting. I didn't have a contract. I didn't have a publisher because I was wanting to do something different entirely from what I'd done before. Uh, and fortunately, when I'd finished the book in, in the end, uh, my agent uh, loved it and he sent it to the leading publishers. And I, I was lucky because I got a great offer uh, from a terrific publisher called Head of Zeus. They offered me a two-book contract. Mm. Uh, so that was that was exciting. They published a special limited edition. Uh, uh, they commissioned wonderful artwork for the cover. Uh, so it was very exciting, and it turned out to be a breakthrough. It was nominated for the Historical Dagger. It, it, it was nominated for another award. Uh, was reviewed very, very well. Uh, and so really it became uh, a great success. And, and it was a wonderful thing from my perspective because it was a complete experiment. It was a great risk uh, without a contract and without any guarantee that the book would even be published. Mm. Uh, but in the end, uh, as I say, I was fortunate it worked out and uh, it's worked out marvelously well for me. And uh, 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 the second book came along, Mort Main Hall, and um, I'm just about to start the third book. In fact, I've written uh, uh, a little bit of that third book. <laughs> good, good. So I take it that you do like Rachel then as a character? I do. And what, what I've done with Rachel, I've done this with my earlier books as well. Right at the outset, you don't know everything about Rachel and even at the end of the first book uh, that there are things to be discovered and I've I've done that with other uh, major characters in my novels because I think it's very important uh, to keep fresh as a writer and to keep yourself infused and to avoid being formulaic and just churning out the same thing I always try even when I'm writing books in a series, to do something a little bit different every time. Uh, because that's a way of keeping me enthusiastic about the books. And I think that if I'm enthusiastic, then, then hopefully the readers will be enthusiastic uh, as well. They, they may get something a little bit different from last time, 
but that's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. So, so it's that um, freshness and little touches of originality that are very important to me. Trying to stretch a little bit further as a writer, trying to write in a different way, different methods, different approaches, experimenting with different viewpoints or story structures. So Mortmain Hall begins with an epilogue, for yes. instance. That, that was one that, was yes. one that I tried in, in that book, and I enjoyed that. I, I felt it, it worked. So, so I'm always trying to do different things with the books and, uh, and to keep myself on my toes and to keep the readers on their toes as well. We never quite know what to expect. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but you like Rachel as a character. Is there anything about her that frustrates you? Certainly not frustrates, but she's um, she's an unusual uh, character for a protagonist uh, because she she is exceptionally ruthless and she she does some very uh, uh, troublesome things. And I was very conscious that the way that she developed as a character, that was bound to be the case. And it's always a challenge for a writer when you write a character of that type. I think Patricia Highsmith experienced this with Tom Ripley, the talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, She wrote five books about that character uh, and she found various ways to, to try to keep Tom fresh. In, in my way of thinking, part of the solution, because Rachel isn't, uh, isn't entirely lovable, to put it mildly, I think she's intriguing and, and attractive in many ways, but there is a dark side to her, a very, very dark side to her uh, character and personality. And it seemed to me that that could be oppressive if it wasn't relieved in some way. And so, and just as with Sherlock Holmes, you have Dr. Watts uh, to, uh, uh, to lighten the, uh, uh, the, the load of this drug addict who's this brilliant maverick, but, but also rather cold. So uh, in, in these stories, although he doesn't narrate the stories, we have Jacob Flint, the impetuous young journalist who becomes uh, fascinated by Rachel wants to discover her secrets uh, is is constantly outfoxed by Rachel but but I think he's although he's naive and he makes makes mistakes he makes bad choices uh, I, I think he's an appealing character he's a character who allows me to introduce humor there is humor uh, quite a lot of humor I think in the second book not not really in the first uh, and there will be humor in the third book as well and I like writing humorous scenes to relieve some of the darkness. So that was my uh, method, if you like, of trying to um, vary the register of the of the novels to, to offer some relief from uh, uh, the difficult scenes. There's, there's very little graphic violence in my novels. There's a lot of talk about it, a lot of reference to it, mm. but I don't, I, I don't write uh, uh, gory scenes generally. There's a lot of suggestion. Uh, some some people have, have said that I do write gory scenes, but actually, if you look at the books, they're not. They, <laughs> I try to conjure up a, uh, an image, but not through explicit description. That that's my preference. Uh, so so there is that 
element of darkness in these uh, particular stories. But there is also some light as well. And there's fun and entertainment, I, I think. There's, there's quite a lot in these books, I think, and you can read them on a number of different levels if you're so inclined. Yes. Now, you mentioned um, keeping things fresh. Yeah. Would you then put some social current event in any of your books? Well, there have always been subtexts to my books. So the first series about Harry Devlin, the the kind of background was that of Liverpool, a city which went through great traumas in the 1980s, uh, rediscovering itself in the in the 1990s and the uh, early part of the 21st century. In the Lake District book, the the background element is is the challenges faced by rural communities in the English countryside. There are many such challenges and that that's a background theme but but these things are there in the stories that they're, they're not necessarily on the surface really they're there for people who are interested and they're, they're, there's a lot of stuff about justice and the way the justice system works and how do we do justice uh in, in a complex society and all that kind of thing uh, uh but uh but they're not things that I want to preach about. I, I, I want to put these uh, uh, ingredients into the mix and let the reader take out of the books what, what they want. And it's very interesting to me that uh, with Gallows Court, first uh, book about Rachel, uh, uh, in recent times, people have, have drawn parallels with the Me Too movement and, and the, now the pandemic, uh, because there's talk about the Spanish flu, the influenza pandemic of uh, 1919 in that novel. But of course, these things weren't in my mind at the time I was writing the, the book. I, I was really trying to address issues on a deeper level rather than what's currently fashionable. I've never uh, been a fashionable writer, really. Never sought to catch the current of the times in that way. I've I've tried to go for things that are are happening in society beneath the surface, and which um, may, if I'm lucky, give the book some degree of longevity. And I've been very pleased when the early books have been reissued that uh, sometimes reviewers have found something in them that reviewers of the time originally didn't find. And that, for me as an author, is extremely satisfying. It's enormously satisfying. Right. Have you, have you got a favourite fictional murder? A favourite fi fictional representation of a real-life crime or, or a fictional murder? A fictional murder. Uh, well, I, I think that um, it's difficult to look beyond Agatha Christie's uh, uh, bestseller and then there were none because that's a, a fascinating story which gripped me as a small boy because of the mystery. But, but really, in later life, when I thought about that novel, uh, I don't want to give too much away. It's really about this this eternal question uh, that 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 never goes away. If society and the uh, mechanism of the justice system, the conventional law, fails to achieve true justice, how can we uh, fill the gap? 
that's really what what's behind that book that's that's where the motivation for the story lies it's something that christie tackled another golden age writers tackle on a number of occasions in fact so often i think that it's no coincidence they they were concerned about these issues even if they didn't really articulate them explicitly in their fiction uh, because of course they were conscious of the rise of hitler the nazis the fascist mussolini and they weren't for the most part talking directly about those things but there was something in the air that that uh, filters through into the books and and then there were none there's a brilliant example of it i think and a, a great story and do you wish you had written it I certainly do. Uh, <laughs> I certainly do. But uh, and of course, many people have written books in that style yeah. and continue to do to this present day. But it, it remains uh, it remains the uh, the landmark. I think. Lovely. Do you watch crime shows on TV? By the way, I do very much so. Uh, I've I've of course during the pandemic I've had plenty of time to catch up so I've been re-watching uh, some things as well as contemporary series I'm, I've been watching The Unforgiven the American uh, series with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant uh, which is uh, quite interesting uh, and certainly uh, very well done uh, but I've also been re-watching uh, shows of the past I've been um, watching spooks the spy series which i never watched when it was first out and i'm i'm enormously impressed by the scripts they're so tight in less than an hour uh, they cover a huge amount of ground i think they're a, a brilliant example of uh, script writing at its best so so i'm working my way through spooks at present i'm up to series three right now good, good for you now let's talk a bit about your success and challenges as a crime writer well i think that that writing is is a very tough game. I, I, I was fortunate to be elected to be chair of the Crime Writers Association, uh, a great privilege. And, and the reality, I've said this many times, is that there are a few very successful writers, but the, for the vast majority, it's a struggle. And that's, that's always been true, and it probably always will be. I think one of the important things uh, in terms of associations like the CWA is to try to support the writers who are finding it difficult. Uh, and, and the same is true of organisations like the Society of Authors. The Royal Literary Fund does a great job in uh, supporting authors who are going through tough times because it is difficult to keep going for every uh, highly successful author. Uh, an Ian Rankin or a Peter Robinson or an Anne Cleves in the field of crime fiction. There are many, many more who who find it very difficult. Uh, but but Ian and Peter and Anne are all people who uh, had a long journey themselves before they uh, became so hugely successful. And uh, I, th I think that's uh, something that illustrates the point that we were talking about earlier, that, that it's so crucial to keep at it to keep the faith when financially and uh, in morale terms and uh, in every other sense uh, you you feel quite despondent it, it is important to believe in 
in what you're doing. If if you don't care enough about it, then I think give up uh, because there are plenty of easy ways to spend your time. But if you really do care, I think these challenges have been dropped by publishers. I've, I've been dropped by uh, a, a publisher more than once over the years, both in Britain and overseas. But I, I believed in what I was doing. And sooner or later, um, you might get a lucky break. Luck does play a big part in writer's career. Luck with all sorts of things. Publishers, does your editor leave the company? Uh, does that TV option turn into a, a series? Uh, uh, all that kind of thing. With awards, there are fashions in awards. I, I think my work was deeply, deeply unfashionable for a very long time. Of, of late, I've, I've been more fortunate, but but that's the wheel of fortune. It, it, it keeps turning and, and you, uh, you go in and out of critical favour. Uh, so the great thing is to believe in what you're doing and, and try to absorb the setbacks and difficult though it is to uh, uh, to tell yourself that that what you're doing has some value even if very few people read it uh, it still has some value to you and uh, uh, you never know what will happen in the future that's that's the great thing about writing it's full of unexpected twists and turns just like a good mystery novel and uh, the twists and turns may sometimes be disappointing but uh, every now and then you get that that lucky break as, as I've had I've, I've had many in, in recent years I, I feel very privileged and uh, uh, and I struggle to believe uh, some of the good fortune I've had the Diamond Dagger for instance but uh, but but it's about sticking with it and having that that belief and uh, and faith in yourself do you think there's room for more new crime writers Oh, absolutely. I think of that there is no doubt whatsoever. Uh, the, uh, the, there will always be a demand for the new. And in fact, although it is difficult to break through as a new writer, I, I think there is at least an equal challenge for the established writer to remain rele relevant because publishers like novelty. Uh, uh, they they do, and they... they they may offer someone uh, a great deal for a couple of books, but then if, if it doesn't work out commercially, they're, they're looking for the next best thing. And that, that author who thought that, yeah, all was going well, is suddenly stranded. And this, this happens all too often. I've seen it happen many times. And this is really, uh, in part, what's behind my, my belief that, that you need to keep that faith because even if you break through as a new author, you, you want to keep going if, if you love it. And that, that's not straightforward. So, uh, so yes, there is always room for new writers, but I like to think there's, there's room for the established writers as well. <laughs> Thank you. One final question for you, Martin. You're walking down the road and you see a dead body. What do you do? I immediately ring 999 because I'm not very brave and that's the right thing to do. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. much for inviting me. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join us on our next episode for more fascinating and interesting matters that go on behind the yellow tape. 
Till then, you can keep in touch by emailing info at btytpodcast.com. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.